You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Morphology Podcast. Hey, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to this podcast and give it a thumbs up if it's deserving. It sure helps me out a lot. Anyway, AKA Murph here to share interviews about biking experiences from cyclists who have pedaled to places all over. Each week, we'll get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? Well, this week, meet Kimberly Byers, a cyclist, a bike packer, and a photographer who found purpose riding a bike and sharing the experiences with others. Kimberly pedaled into 26 states in 2020 and was able to bike pack 100 consecutive days and is on the podcast to share some memories of this great adventure. Enjoy. All right, well, on the podcast today, we have Kimberly Byers. Hey, Kimberly, how are you? I'm wonderful, Kathy. Thank you for having me today. Sure. And we were talking before we pushed record, and Kimberly has been on the ski slopes all morning. So I am blessed that you were able to take a break and warm up and uh, switch over to thinking about biking. My thoughts are always on biking, even when I'm on the ski slopes. (laughs) Um, As much as I love skiing, I'm taking three days here at beautiful Snowshoe Mountain in West Virginia. Ooh. Um, just to play in the snow and, and experience winter. Mm-hmm. Um, my thoughts are truly on next summer's adventure. So yeah, yeah. Um, I'm always thinking about biking. Awesome. Well, then uh, you are at the right place, or I'm at the right place to talk to you. Um, I wrote on my notes that Kimberly Byers is a cyclist, a bike packer, and a photographer. And based on what I've seen on your social media sites, you are you excel at all three of those. So I'm very excited to talk to you about all three. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's funny in life that. Uh, we get recognized for things that we do. Um, you know, I never saw myself as, um, an athlete, a cyclist, a bike packer, a photographer. Um, but over time I've grown into that mm-hmm. and, uh, I'll wear all of those badges proudly. Awesome. Well, the top focus I want to do is bike packing. I saw somewhere that you did 100 consecutive days of bike packing, and I wanted to get into that if you are willing to share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did uh, I did 100 consecutive days of uh, bike packing in 2020. Uh, the whole trip was just a little bit longer than that, but the day that I crashed in Utah, mm. went over the handlebars and dislocated my shoulders. Oh. That was uh, the 100th day. So, yeah. You know, basically, I started in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, I rode a thousand miles to the headwaters of the Mississippi. I rode over across the Dakotas to the Badlands, to the Black Hills, um, crossed into Wyoming to the Devil's Tower, crossed Wyoming to Yellowstone, went and played in Montana and Idaho a little bit, um, made a lap around the Tetons, including taking a day off of bikepacking to uh, race the Idaho 100 out of Victor. Mm. Fantastic route. A guy by the name of Aaron Couch works for Fitzpatrick's bike shop there in Victor, Idaho. They, uh, they put on one just a spectacular route, so it was worth taking a day off of. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, I 
crossed the Great Basin of Wyoming on the Great Divide mountain bike trail. Down into Colorado, I climbed Byers Peak, rode to Hoosier Pass, rode Mount Evans, went and visited uh, with my friend Katie and Bonnie Guyon for a couple of days, went to Nebraska for a wedding, rode to the St. Louis Arch, um, ended up in Salt Lake City to race the Utah Mix Epic and crashed down on the first day. Mm. Then I called my Uncle Russ and said, hey, I need rescued, and he did a little road trip, and we went to the Grand Canyon, and I rode Amtrak home. Wow. So, so with the exception of, I ro- I've ridden my bike in Colorado, all of those other states you mentioned, I have never been there on my bike. So I'm so intrigued to find out, you know, maybe some good stories or some highlights of some of those. Like being up north, I think it would be very interesting. I don't, I don't know anything about the terrain. Gosh, I don't even know where to start with that. Um, you know, in 2019, I was real close to the Canadian border uh, while in Glacier National Park in Montana, you know, the Whitefish area, Columbia Falls, and all of that. And that was in the first week of June. You know, there was still snow towering above my head from where they, they plowed through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this year in July, uh, when I crossed the Wind River Range, uh, one of the particular mornings that I woke up, uh, my Garmin's temperature sensor said it was 26.2 degrees. Wow. Um, at sunrise when I was packing up everything, getting ready to roll. Um, so it's, you get up in the mountains, you get up north, northern part of the Rockies, you know, even in July, um, it's, it's an amazing, amazing experience for a Midwesterner like myself. Mm-hmm. So I've been um, biking for long, long, long time. And I've been mostly doing bike touring. And to me, the difference between bike packing and touring is the volume of space that you can have for stuff on your bike. Um, Because when I'm touring, I have panniers on the front and the back, plus in the frame, plus in the front on the handlebars. So I have lots and lots of room and I take probably way more stuff than I need to. But when you're bike packing correct me if I'm wrong, but you have a lot less space. Um, you probably have something under your saddle, maybe something on the handlebars and then in the frame. Is that right? That is correct. You know, it's interesting. Everybody has a different take on the difference between bike packing and bike touring. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it's kind of a mindset. You know, when you're bike packing, it's about minimalist. So that, you know, just taking just what you need mm-hmm. um, and nothing more. And I think that most people would say that bike packers are on a little bit more out of the way, a little, you know, kind of the back road to the road less traveled, where bike touring, you're just taking the road less traveled, which doesn't mean that one outweighs the other. Um, But for me, I think bike packing is really more of a mindset than any particular set rules. Yeah, I started doing a lot more bike packing this past in 2020. And I completely agree with everything you just said. I mean, it's definitely being more minimalist. But um, I was on a a trip and it was exactly what you mentioned where, you know, it's beautiful day during the day and then it got so cold at night. And, you know, thinking back, I'm like, could I have put another sleeping bag somewhere on my bike? Probably not, but I mean, did I die? No, I was fine. It was cold, but I was fine. You know, so I talked about being 26 degrees in the winds. My the camping gear that I 
took with me was rated down to 30 degrees, mm. um, in part because of volume, um, a little bit in, in weight, but mostly in volume, because, um, for example, I have a big Agnes sleeping bag, down sleeping bag that is rated for 15 degrees, light and equipment um, quilt that's rated for 30. Well, the volume difference is significant where the weight difference is not. But I also am taking cold weather gear, you know, like a pair of Gore cycling tights. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking a down jacket. And so what I've learned is that I can pair items that I'm going to wear with gear that might take up a little bit less volume. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's some of what, uh, just some of what you needed, I needed to figure out for me. Sure. And, uh, you know, talking about bikepacking, we should probably um, talk about your bike of choice when you go bikepacking. And I'm a, I'm going to make a wild guess here, Kimberly, that you probably own more than one bike. I'm going to guess. Yes. yes. Um, so um, I actually own about 10 bicycles. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm temporarily working in West Virginia to try to make money so I can take the summer off and go bikepacking. And when I came to West Virginia, I brought two bicycles with me. I brought my bikepacking bike, which is a 2020 Salsa Cutthroat mm. uh, with a few modifications. And the other bike I brought with me is a 2019 Specialized The Verge, mm. again, with a few modifications, um, both of which I have bikepacked on numerous, numerous times. Mm. So, and if you talk, I want to throw one more thing in, if I could. Sure. Uh, just for the record, I've also bike packed on a Trek Damani and a uh, souped-up Jameis Eclipse. Um, so you know, I don't want people to think that just because they don't have a gravel bike doesn't mean that they can't go bike packing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, take whatever bike you have, go out, enjoy yourself. And I just need to throw that in there. So thank you. Yeah, and it is. It's you. St- you have to start somewhere. So if people are wanting to start bike packing, just take what you have and don't go very far from home. And then when you get to your level where you're doing a hundred consecutive days, of course you want to have a little bit uh, different or better or higher quality equipment. So I mean, it's just kind of a progressive thing. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Well, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the items, like must-have items that you carry with you when you go bikepacking? Sure. You know, some of the must-haves are probably not what people would think. Um, There's only a few items that I've taken on every bikepacking trip. Mm. And the one biggest item for me personally, because I have a tendency to get lost and I'm a rather navigationally challenged, (laughs) is a quality GPS that I know how to use. Mm -hmm. Um, Because one of the greatest, greatest experiences while bikepacking is actually getting lost, being where you don't know where you're at. And by having a GPS that you can then figure out how to get somewhere after you've gotten lost, that's going to be what's going to save your life Mm -hmm. Um, versus being wandering and not being able to resupply or do the things you need to do. Um, as a whole, being able to have, having a quality GPS has let me, um, ride in a direction versus a route, if that makes sense. And so by being able to do a direction, I can experience things more organically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the se- second item that I will not bike pack without is a, uh, 
spot tracker. Mm. And as a satellite tracker, I personally use a Gen 3. It's a one-way device. It does not receive messages from anyone. But it allows me to, uh, it allows me to tell them, okay, I'm starting or I'm stopping for the day. Mm-hmm. It allows me to check in and say, hey, I'm okay. And if things really go bad, there's two different help buttons. There's one help button that lets me say, hey, send help, send it now before this gets to be an emergency. And the other help button will actually go to a human being and they'll start search and rescue operations. Mm. Uh, thankfully, I need, haven't needed either. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been in a few situations, including when I was on the backside of Sugarloaf Pass in Utah with my arm hanging out of socket, mm. uh, blood and whatnot, where I thought about pressing that help button, but I haven't. I've used it just as a spare, just kind of last resort. Mm-hmm. So those are pretty much in my phone. The other thing, you know, I truly believe having a phone with you uh, and a way to charge your electronics. Mm-hmm. Um, these are highly, highly important. Um, the only other things that I've taken on every single trip is the not only the knowledge of the bike and how to fix that particular bike, but also the you know a derailleur hanger, the correct tubes, even if you're running tubeless. So I run tubeless, but I use uh, I'm a huge fan of tubolito tubes. It's a little bit different material. They're not rubber. They're a little bit stronger. Hmm. And if you like, for example, I punctured a sidewall that I could put my thumb through. And I was able to patch the hole with a cliff bar wrapper, some electrical tape. And then I put this tubolito in there and it didn't push out of the tire. Mm. And I was able to ride it 168 more miles to the nearest bike shop. Wow. Um, so having a bit of knowledge about how to fix your bike and then having the right stuff to fix it. Mm-hmm. These are the must haves. Um, you know, having a super lightweight tent having, you know, an MSR camp stove, all of that stuff is kind of secondary. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you need fuel and water. You know, you got to stay hydrated. Uh, dehydration is going to lead to bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as must-have items, a way to find civilization and a way for people to find you, that's that's what I say is for me must-have. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, if you have your fuel, your food, and your water, um, it makes it a little less stressful when you do get lost because you have everything you need if you want to just be lost for a day or two uh, before you choose to find civilization again. Exactly. Um, I often travel with at least one extra day's worth of food beyond where beyond where, what I think I need. And I'll give you a perfect example. I had left, um, I believe it was Rawlings, Wyoming, and uh, maybe a couple of day ride into Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And I had rode 40, 50 miles. I'm not exactly sure. And I'm up in the mountains. And one of the things I always like to do is camp where there's water. Because if you cook and you use your water, you know, I can't re- replenish that water, mm-hmm. now you have the chance of running out of water. But I was on top of this mountain mm-hmm. in the National Forest and just this gorgeous view. And I stopped to make some macaroni and cheese on my camp stove. And uh, I leaned my head against a tree and I wake up three, three and a half hours later and it's starting to get, you know, as you can tell it's, these colors are getting ready to change. 
And now it's like, you know what? I'm not going any further. My body is screaming at me. Mm. It's tired. And so I just camped there in the woods, mm. right where I was at. If I didn't have that safety reserve of food, now that might not have been as an option because I would have needed to get to Steamboat Springs the very next day mm-hmm. instead of having the option of lingering. Yeah. Do you have an average daily mileage that you go for or are you going more for destination or view or or you're winging it um i definitely wing it um (laughs) (laughs) definitely so it's a combination of all of that um in part it's it's an effort and an effort's hard to describe especially when you're not using a power meter or you're not using a way to measure that effort um now in the past before I transitioned to purely bikepacking when I was doing more bike racing, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've used power meters, I've used heart rate straps, and I have a pretty good idea of what the effort to burn five to 6,000 calories a day is. You know, in the Rockies, that effort might equate to um, 65 gravel miles and, you know, 10,000 feet of climbing where that same effort in South Dakota is 130 gravel miles. Mm. Um, so it's all relative. You know, when I was crossing South Dakota, there's uh, Tina and Joe Stiller that's given me a lot of information about the Native Americans and some of the issues that they were having. And so when I was crossing the Dakotas, I was kind of on destination. I was trying to get to certain towns that I knew had parks because in the Dakotas and Kansas camping in a city park is totally legal. Mm. Um, a lot of them are free donation based. Some of them like Aberdeen are full fledged campgrounds. Um, and so like in the Dakotas, it was totally getting from one point to another, getting from one set of civilization to another. And, you know, Wyoming and Colorado, um, it wasn't quite like that. It was more of a direction and effort. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a huge combination. Um, you know, of course, the further east you go, the less public property there is. And so that makes it so you need to get to a place where you can legally, legally camp out or get a hotel or some combination thereof. Mm-hmm. A quick interruption to tell you this week's podcast is sponsored by Lizard Lips Lip Balm. These great lip balms contain natural ingredients, come in a variety of flavors, and you can choose certified organic or balms with sun protection. Check it out at lizardlips.net. Now back to the show. Um, Back to your must-have items. You know, obviously what you mentioned as far as your must-haves takes up weight and space and uh, like especially charging a charging device Um, like I carry a solar charging device but it's you know that fills up weight plus your sleeping gear plus your uh, camping gear all of that good stuff do you ever squeeze in some luxury items that maybe you don't really need but you for peace of mind or mental health or for fun you carry well I carry a Fuji X-T3 Sometimes I carry a tripod. Sometimes I have multiple lenses. Um, and so those are not survival at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one item that has gone on every bike packing trip with me, which is my mental health, is my Kindle. Mm. Um, when people look at my profile on Facebook, one of the things they'll probably see is that I'm a bookworm. Um, I've been a bookworm my entire life. I read 
roughly 110 to 120 books a year. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm very, very ferocious when it comes to reading. And for my own mental health, it may be one page in a day. It may be 10 pages in a day. Um, it might be a whole book because I just don't feel like going anywhere. And I just want to sit in the woods and read a book. My Kindle travels with me everywhere I go. Awesome. And a much lighter weight than carrying, a, you know, three or four books. Yes. Yes, absolutely. A lot less volume, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you um, mentioned some of your cameras or, you know, lenses and tripods and all that good stuff. Um, you you share a lot of your bike packing experiences with videos and in-person clinics and, uh, you know, YouTube and Facebook. And so I was wondering if you wanted to tell us a little bit about that experience of like, how do you make videos or when do you choose to, or how does that work? So I'm going to go offside topic just for a second. I'm going to come back. Yeah. Okay. To, to your question. So a few years ago, I was sitting in a Waffle House with my friend Don Bennett, and Don is a Lutheran pastor. Now, I'm not very religious, but I'm very spiritual. And so we're sitting in this Waffle House, and I'm looking at Don, who's very driven. She's got all this purpose, and we're talking about life. And I tell Don, I'm like, you know, I'm homeless. I go from city to city, work temporarily, take time off, go ride my bike. And all I want to do is earn enough money to ride my bike. That's all I want to do in life. I feel like I'm ungrounded. I feel like I'm purposeless. And Tom looks at me and she says, well, why can't your purpose be to just ride your bike? Yeah. And it clicked. It was like, oh, wow, I can, that can be a human being's purpose. I mean, I thought I was supposed to have a job, full time, put money away in a 401k, you know, have a significant other shed that a long time ago and haven't found anyone since. Mm -hmm. It's like, I lead the least conventional life out there and it's okay for me to have a purpose other than what the world has told me I should have. Mm. Um, it was like this huge light bulb. It was like, I finally had permission just to live life on my terms. Once I realized that my purpose could very well be just to ride my bike I need to talk to other people. I began to realize that having the ability, uh, the time off to go bikepack for a hundred consecutive days is a dream of some people's. They oh, for sure. are, you know, but they have, a, they have other situations in life. And so here I've been blessed with this, this huge opportunity. And what do you do with opportunity? Well, so for me, I've tried to share that opportunity. I've tried to help people, you know, I've, you know, I've exceeded my own expectations. I never saw that I was to be doing this. This is not the life plan. But if I can help other people exceed the, their own expectations of themselves by sharing my experiences, well, then what greater gift can I be given and that I can give to the world? Right. So that, that's part of what drives me. Over the few, last few years, I've tried a YouTube channel, which um, after spring of 2020, I pretty much ignored because um, it's you go on a hundred day bikepacking trip. It's hard to take the proper gear to record videos and to make real YouTube vid videos. Mm -hmm. um, I was never really that good at it. You know, I've tried to 
this fall get back into doing online videos, clinics. Um, I actually scheduled a few clinics. Um, Heather Harrison helped me set one up in Michigan. Um, Nacho and Denise from the Peoria Area Mountain Bike Association invited me out to Peoria Area, Pekin, Illinois. Um, you know, oh gosh, the Wabash Women's Bicycle Club in uh, um, Lafayette, Indiana invited me out there. Um, I got to ride with Lydia Trot, one of my randonneering heroes. Um, you know, so, so many people invited me to do things. And so I had these opportunities to talk about what I'm doing, to teach a little bit and kind of show what it's like to be um, a bike packer. You know, what, what is a day in a life of bike packing exist? And so I've tried all these different things on, you know, it's like going to the store, finding a dress, trying it on, you wear it out and then you hang it in the closet. Mm -hmm. So although I'm not necessarily opposed to doing clinics or riding with a bike club or talking, I haven't exactly found the way that fits me best to do that. Um, but I definitely want to, I want to share my experiences. I want to, I want to, I want to put it out there. I want to help people reach into themselves and exceed their own expectations. As far as gear, uh, my camera, it has the ability to do video, but I don't because it eats up the SD card. Mm. Um, I own a cycle IQ bikepacking camera, um, you know, video camera, but I don't generally take it because I don't have the ability to take, I don't have the ability to process the SD cards or micro SD cards in this case. So a lot of times, a lot of the videos that I've done are purely just using my phone. Um, mm -hmm. Currently I'm using a Galaxy S10 and what I find is for, you know, basic video sharing, it's okay. It's not expert quality. It's in that's, you know what I'm saying? Um, the mm -hmm. thoughts always there to get a tap, you know, smaller computer tablet, you know, like the Microsoft go or something like that. And then take a, uh, HD camera, you know, that plugs in USB and do this and that and all this camera gear. But ultimately what it comes down to again is volume. Um, all of that stuff has a volume and a weight. And one thing I think don't know that a lot of people factor in when they're packing their bikes is you might only add 20 pounds of gear to your bike. But when you add water and you add food, right. well, that's another 20 pounds. Right. Um, you know, on a typical day, the food and water is going to well outweigh the amount of gear that I have. Mm. Um, and for the record, the gear that I take with me weighs 11 pounds because uh, I have shipped it home. Uh, that's so, it? Just a, um, just 11 pounds? Not including food and water, all of my gear, clothing, my tent, my quilt, and the bags. And the bags that they go in, I've got it down to 11 pounds. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. And again, you know, we talk about minimalists. You know, we're talking about me taking one tank top to wear every day mm -hmm. while I'm biking. And then one other T-shirt to have when I'm not biking, you have your bike shorts and then one pair of shorts to wear when I'm not biking. Mm. Everything else is cold weather gear. Um, so, but yeah, yeah, it's bike packing is about minimalist mm -hmm. for me being, being a minimalist, taking only what you need. 
Yeah, I think bikepacking um, is what it took for me to learn that you don't have to, when you're out in the middle of nowhere, you don't have to change your clothes every single day. So that it was a huge eye-opening experience for me because I, it was the difference between, am I going to actually carry six pairs of bike shorts for a seven-day trip and use up all this space or take two pairs of bike shorts and, you know, rinse one out each day and wear the other one and have a lot of extra uh, weight removed. So you're, you're so, you're spot on. I mean, 11 pounds, I'm super impressed. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, you talk about bike shorts. I have found that for myself, again, it's all about volume. I will actually rotate my bike shorts, but I wear them both every day at the same time. So mm-hmm. I have one pair on the outside, one pair on the inside. So it kind of doubles up the padding. Mm-hmm. And if you have good fitting bike shorts, it works pretty good. But I'll ask you, you, know, you talk about renting your bike shorts out. Have you ever thought about if you cross, say, the desert of Wyoming, Great Basin, what water are you going to use to rinse out your shorts? Yeah. Myself, I will get a small thing of baby wipes. And that's what I will use because I use it to clean myself but I also wipe out my bike shorts with those, mm. uh, those antibacterial wipes. So, again, you know, it's all about getting down to the bare minimum. And then the last thing I want to say about just wearing the same clothes every day, one of the greatest things for me about bike packing is that the world, the road, the environment, it doesn't care. Mm. It doesn't care yeah. what you look like, what you smell like. It cares that you're out there and living it and participating in it. And, you know, so, again, having those perfectly clean bike shorts, that perfectly clean top and matching kit and matching socks, the world doesn't care. (laughs) That is so true. And and quickly, uh, at least for me, I didn't care. You know what I mean? After you're biking for a couple of days, you're, you're, you're wearing what's comfortable and it's all about what you see in the environment and, you know, getting to wherever you're going or enjoying the time getting there. I mean, that's what it exactly. came down to. You know, for, for me, bikepacking so often is about the new experiences. It's about, you know, every day is jam-packed with my brain and my life and my soul expanding by leaps and bounds with new experiences at times, new people, new places, witnessing mm. colors and vibrancy and smells and um, all of this. And to me, that's what I want to experience. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't, none of that matters on whether or not you have mascara on right. or your hair just done up. So <laughs> that's um, so true. So true. So when you look at, you know, your 100 days of bike packing, and then you, you know, on the path to figuring out that if I work these few months, then I can bike these several months, and then kind of, you know, rinse and repeat. And it's where you want to be. Um, I, I saw somewhere that you have biked over 30,000 miles in the last several years, like four years or something like that. Is that true? A quick interruption to tell you this week's sponsor is Thirsty Pigs, a full-service mobile event company offering beer, wine, spirits, plus catering for any indoor or outdoor event. Check out more at thirstypigs.com. Now back to the show. That is absolutely true. Um, I mean, I'd have to go to my Strava account to see exactly what that number is. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I don't know, probably up where it's 36, 37,000. I don't think I've broke 40,000 quite yet just since 2000, the end of 2016. You know, again, I've just been privileged to all a bit late in life to find my place. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily I have a lifestyle that is conducive to going from one place to another. Uh, you know, in 2020, I was actually privileged to bike in 26 different states, which, you know, I almost am afraid to say, you know, because we had, did have a pandemic going on right. in this country. I tried to be as responsible as possible. But, uh, yeah, you know, again, I've just been privileged to find the time to ride and ride and ride some more. Yeah, right. And uh, based on what I've seen on your social media, you know, like you've mentioned, you've been through 26 states in the last, uh, well, in 2020. Um, and I noticed that you also do a lot of like national parks, at least you photograph those, because the photographs are amazing. I have to tell you that. But um, can you maybe you. share a couple of memorable places or highlights, like where you've pedaled? Well, so in 2020, um, which first of all, the whole route was not really planned. Mm. Um, so 2020 is building upon 2019. And in 2019, I had entered the Trans Am bicycle race and I dropped out of the Trans Am bicycle race. I was struggling. I was not doing nearly as well and I wasn't having fun. I got to Lolo, Montana and I had a choice. Um, I could go right the way that the course went and that would take me through Yellowstone National Park which was 407 miles to my right, or I could hang a left and I could go to Glacier National Park, which was 351 miles to my left. Hmm. And I'm standing on a corner in Lolo, Montana. And anybody who's been there who's come down from Lolo Pass, they would understand that this is a T corner. You have to, you can't go straight. You either have to go right or you have to go left. And I reach into my bag and I pull out a quarter and I flipped this quarter and it, uh, I said, head, heads for glacier, tails for Yellowstone. And I snatched this quarter out of the air. I never look at it. I put it in my bag and I hung a left and I went to Glacier National Park for real. Oh, so awesome. <laughs> and so for me, the, one of the absolute free, most freeing things I've ever done was to hang that left. Um, so Glacier is always going to have a place in my heart. It is just beyond spectacular. Going to the Sun Road is, it's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable to have been able to ride that road twice now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, Glacier is one of my most favorite places. Of course, I didn't make it to Yellowstone National Park like I was planning. And so for 2020, I rode to Yellowstone. Um, and Yellowstone was just as majestic as I could have imagined, and then more. It was uh, spectacular. Of course, what I didn't foresee was how much I would fall in love with the Tetons. Mm. Um, I saw the Tetons. I fell in love with them. My friend Deb Rose, who met me in Yellowstone, she's uh, from Boise, bikepacker from Boise, Um she met me in Yellowstone, and she was kind of my tour guide of the Yellowstone ecosystem, which includes the Tetons. You know, we after the Idaho 100, we separated ways. I continued to 
towards Nebraska for my cousin Aaron's wedding, and she went back towards Boise. I didn't foresee me falling in love with the Tetons, uh, but I did. I absolutely did. I made an entire lap around them, and as I crossed the Apuska Mountains, which are east of Yellowstone and the, and the Tetons, I found a few tears um, as I went up Tottawe Pass, and when I could no longer see the Tetons, there was a sadness that came over me. Mm. Um, um, of course, the Acoustas were cool. The winds were as legendary as they are. My favorite place on earth that I have biked through, and prior to actually biking through here, my answer would have been the Appalachian Mountains. Um, I've spent a tremendous amount of time in the Appalachians, you know, in the Cherokee, Natahala, Pisgah National Forest, Chattahoochee, uh, Talladega, you know, just the Mongahela National Forest, all of these national forests in the Appalachians are absolutely spectacular. Mm -hmm. But then in 2020, I crossed the Great Basin of Wyoming and I found my place in, in the world. You know, here's a place where there's no water. It's desert, it's sun, it's brutal winds, it's being sandblasted, yet it's beautiful. Mm. And as someone who's never fit the classical beauty standards, I felt like I fit in. And so here I was in this harsh environment, surrounded by life that a lot of people would never even notice. You know, you've got the sage chickens and the sagebrush and the wild horses on the ridge that won't let you come close. You have antelopes, the males that are protecting their women. It's just absolutely such a vibrant yet harsh and dangerous place. Mm. And for me, the Great Basin was, hands down, it is my favorite place on earth that I've traveled so far. Wow. I'm going to I'm gonna have to Google this so I can see some photographs. I'll send you a couple. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, and when you mentioned, you know, the beauty of going in the mountains, like I'm assuming that you, you embrace uh, mountain climbs. No, I'm not a climber. Oh, you're um, not. <laughs> <laughs> I am not a climber, not at all. Um, no, I do not embrace climbing. Um, yeah. So I'm big. I've always been very big boned. I struggle with my weight. I struggle mightily. And um, climbing's tough. Climbing's very tough mm -hmm. for me. It is not my favorite thing to do, but the rewards are worth it. Yeah, um, yeah. If we if we have a moment, I'll talk about climbing Mount Evans. I started the day in Evergreen, Colorado, which is in an altitude of 7,000 feet. And I biked to Squaw Pass, which is around 11,000, mm -hmm. maybe a little more. Climbing, climbing, climbing mm -hmm. all day. Is and then I descend a little one, bit. Is that in one day you did the 5,000 feet? Oh, yes. No, this is just in the morning. Whoa. Um, so I climb just, you know, you leave, you leave Evergreen, you have maybe three miles along a creek, and then it's just climb up, just squaw pass. And then you have a bit of rolling terrain, and you lose a little bit, and you drop down below 10,000, and then you climb back up towards Echo Lake, which is roughly 10, 5, 11,000, not exactly certain what Echo Lake is at. And they're surrounded by national forests, and that's where I'm planning on camping for the night. And I hang a left, 
on the road to climb to Mount Evans, which is like 4,100 and change. And I start biking. Of course, people are coming down from the mountain and I'm going up. It's late afternoon. I've been at this all day. Mm. It's 14 miles from Echo Lake to the top. When I get to the top, I have ridden 26 miles, but I've climbed from 7,000 feet to 11, down to 10, back to 11, to more than 14,000 feet. Okay, I've climbed more than 8,000 total, almost 9,000 feet total. I'm the last person up there. You know, I'm on a loaded bikepacking bike, and I get off this bike, and there's these mountain goats up there. It's really cool. The ruins of this observatory, and uh, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm lonely. And I actually cuss God out. I'm like, God, this is hard. I'm out here doing superhero stuff. And I tell him how upset I am that I haven't found my person yet, that we're taking our time to, to cross paths. And in part because I am so physically exhausted mm. from such a difficult task that all of my emotions are just brought right out to the foresight. But then this mountain goat nudges me like, hey, you got any food? You're not quite as alone as you think you are. And I come back into the moment, which is part of what bikepacking is all about. It's about living in the moment. Mm. It's not thinking about what you don't have or what you do have. It's about being in the moment. It's about the fact that I just rode my bicycle above the clouds. And I have a mountain goat that I'm taking selfies with. (laughs) And... So for me, I struggle on the climbs, but again, the rewards put me in the moment and I have to, I cherish each and every summit I get to. Yeah. And 14,000 feet is quite a feat, but to do it, you know, that was not your first mountain pass that day. That's just amazing. Have you done 8,000 feet more than one time in one day? Um, I have had, yes, I've had, uh, um, a few times there was, uh, Oh, gosh, there was one day in Idaho in 2019 where I had four mountain passes to climb, Mm. and I think I did more than 11,000 that day, Um, and it was brutal. I cried. I literally wept. I didn't feel like I had the strength to get over that last one, and I I wept, and that's all I could do. And you did it. But I just kept, yeah, I did. I just one pedal stroke and another pedal stroke, and I lived in the moment. Yeah. Living in the moment is the key because, you know, it's obviously, it's obvious you have the strength, your body has the strength because you did it, you made it, but to have that mental strength as well. I mean, you've, you've nailed both. Um, I think it was Janie Hayes, you know, extraordinary endurance cyclist, but I think it was Janie Hayes that said no one has ever killed themselves with exertion by biking. You know, everybody thinks like, oh, I'm going to cycle to death or I'm going to die. Your body's just not going to let you. It's going to shut down. It's going to stop you from mm-hmm. going. Um, so our bodies are way stronger than our minds are mm-hmm. than the mental aspect. But yeah. And that's the thing. That's where, where I talk about people exceeding their own expectations with me exceeding my own expectations of myself to be able to push myself emotionally and mentally. That's where the beauty comes in. Yeah. And when you can live in the moment and you can achieve something that you never thought possible, you're like, this is a, there's no way I could do this. Mm-hmm. And yet you get there. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. Yes. 
I want to go right now on a bikepacking trip. <laughs> I actually do, too. <laughs> I want to stay screw the skin and go bikepacking. Um. Uh, so, uh, you know, speaking of mental health and, you know, just having the strength, what would you say to people who have been listening who are like, man, I have the dream. Can I do it? Should I do it? Do you, what advice would you give them? Well, first of all, anyone can do it. Anyone can go bikepacking. I was, would not suggest that people just jump off and go ride 100 days mm-hmm. uh, bikepacking. Before I did that, you know, my salsa cutthroat is my fourth bikepacking bike. Um, it is, I sat down with Marcus Wind of Summit City Bicycles and Fitness, and we hatched the idea for this. And then we had a group of people who put this very customized salsa cutthroat together to be able to survive an expedition like this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's months and months of uh, just the bicycle coming together. So just jumping on any bike and riding off into the sunset is probably a bad idea. But take what you have and start slow. You know, mm-hmm. do an overnight. Do two or three overnights. Um, do it with people. You know, my first bikepacking trip was more of a tour. I rode with my friends Jennifer, Beth Ann, Jennifer's husband, uh, Brad, and a guy named Jim. And that's where I actually learned that solo bikepacking works better for me mm-hmm. because, you know, I couldn't keep up with the guys and they wanted to get where, to where we were going and drink beer. And I was just wanted to take pictures. Mm-hmm. And so, but it was a huge stepping stone for me. And so you find a way to do this stepping stones. You find a way to do the little trips. And often for me, you know, we talk about this 100 consecutive days of bikepacking, but, you know, some of those are not the most gorgeous trips. You know, I did a trip in October to the UP of Michigan, and that was just as rewarding as 100 consecutive days, mm-hmm. and it was only like five or six days long. So, you know, people don't have, you don't have to go out and do this extraordinary number. It's not about the numbers. It's not about the miles. It's not about the stats. It's about the experience. Mm-hmm. And so build incrementally, take what you have, get better gear, see what you can live without. And you can do this. Um, you know, just do it in a safe manner. Make sure somebody knows where you're at and you can get help if you need it. Yeah. And your own, adv- your own advice or your own words, stay in the moment. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Stay in the moment. Cause that's the whole point. Yeah. yeah. That's the entire point is to, escape our mundane life and be in the moment, be in the, the wilderness, you know, to have that opportunity for that squirrel with the nut who sticks his head out of the wor- woods, looks at you and scurries back, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe you lean your bike against a tree and you go walking on a beach in Lake Superior on an Island in Lake Superior. And when you come back, there's a squirrel who's chewed a hole in your top tube bag and he has half your snicker bar in your, your, in his hands. And he looks at you like, Hey, I worked really hard for this. And you're like, hey, you know, Squirrel, I'm not that upset about the Snickers bar, but I am upset about the bag. And he hops down, and he takes the Snickers bar with you, and now you got a bag that the zippers are all torn off. And it's like, well, okay. But it's only the kind of experience you're going to get by getting out there right. and living it. So right. do it. Just go out and do it. 
Awesome. Well, we we talked briefly about, you know, you said you're working now so that you can get on your bike come spring or the summer. Do you have a plan yet or do you just know you're going to be on your bike? Um, I have a loose plan. Um, I'm working temporarily in West Virginia through the middle of May. Um, I'd like to go back and visit my friends in Fort Wayne for a few weeks. I'm kind of targeting the first week of June-ish to start Spokane, Washington. Um, I had had a experience in climbing Whitebird, which is a climb in Idaho. Um, and I met a Native American Indian man mm. and his wife. And at the time when this young man told me about his great-grandmother and her family being chased out of that valley, um, I didn't comprehend the impact that it was going to have on me. Um, since then, I've read a lot about the Nez Pierce War. And so I kind of like to start in the Spokane area. I'd like to go to the Wallala Valley. I'd like to ride through Whitebird again. Um, I kind of want to not, not necessarily trace verbatim the Nez Pierce War, but I'd like to go to some of those battle sites mm. um, and then ride up towards the Montana-Canada border. From there, that's going to get let me go back to Glacier. It's going to let me go to Coeur d'Alene area of Idaho. Um, maybe I can zip through Victor, Idaho for some fantastic Thai food that I had. That'll let me visit the Tetons again. I'll hit the Great Basin. Of course, I have lots of people I want to visit in Colorado. Um, there's a monastery I want to visit in New Mexico. Mm. Um, of course, the Nez Pierce, they were marched to a reservation in the Kansas Territory, modern-day Oklahoma. So I think it'd be fitting to ride through there. I do have unfinished business with Utah, and there's a road I want to ride in Arizona. So wow, I don't have a route. I don't have a plan. Uh, I have ideas at this point. Yeah, it sounds like a great uh, start to a epic summer again. Yeah, that's that's what I'm working towards. Yeah. <laughs> well, if people want to, you know, we talked about your photography and like those recorded clinics that you've done and uh, just general videos about back bike packing. Where can people go to find them? Um, well, the, I'm most prolific on uh, Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so just go under my name. It's Kimberly Byers and it's Kimberly with a couple of Y's. So it's K-Y-M-B-E-R-L-Y. And then buyers is spelled B-Y-E-R-S. Um, it is a public profile. Anyone can look at it, um, regardless if you're friends with me or not. But mm -hmm. send me a friend request, and I would love to, to connect with you. Uh, so that's, that's where I'm most pro prolific. On Instagram, um, I'm gypsycyclist222. I don't post quite as much on Instagram, but what I do post on Instagram generally is special. It's not what I've posted on Facebook. So mm -hmm. the people that follow both, they're going to see stuff on Instagram they might not see on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, I do have a YouTube channel that I've been pretty spotty on. It's Kimberly Byers, just my name again. Um, you can go on there. You can see some randoneering that I've done. You can see just some general crazy stuff. You can see a bikepacking trip I did in Michigan um, in 2018. You can see my Trans Am attempt that didn't work. Um, and then you can see the following videos. You can see uh, some videos from Tennessee from last year, uh, Alabama, North Carolina, all of that. Um, really, I didn't realize people were watching them. I didn't, you know, I, I did them. I, again, I tried this dress on. It kind of fit, kind of didn't fit. Um, my hope is 
for 2021 when I'm back on the trail to do some Facebook Live stuff mm-hmm. um, from the trail. I don't know that it's going to be like every Thursday at 4 o'clock like it was mm-hmm. um, late summer. But I might try to do something like that. Again, I don't have a concrete plan. But, you know, again, I'm just Kimberly Byers. I'm just just a bike packer. I'm a cyclist, a bookworm. I'm just trying to live my life to the fullest, unapologetically to the fullest, really. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah. Um, and again, I love to connect with people. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kathy, I can't thank you enough for having me on here, really. Yeah, it's been an, it's been awesome. And um, I think you need to give yourself a little more credit as far as uh, what you've provided in those videos. Of course, you know, the reason that I had you on the podcast is I came across a couple where you're um, literally going through your bike packing stuff and talking about how you use them and what you use them for and where they go on your bike but also the views like spectacular you like you may be talking to the camera but if you you know if your people are looking at the background they're like I have to go there I have to ride my bike there so I find you very inspiring and I I look forward to well doing my own bike packing but also watching where you end up going in 2021 yeah, thank you so much. Really, yeah. just thank you. Um, I'm excited to see where I go in 2021. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, life is so short and so fragile. Um, hopefully, we all can just embrace it and, you know, we'll all see where we go. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Just feeling really lucky. Thank you for having me. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks, Kimberly, for telling us about your bikepacking adventures and sharing expert tips on how to bikepack in the most minimalistic way. Kimberly mentioned how important it is to stay in the moment, and I find this simple advice quite meaningful and more difficult to do than you think. So if you have a topic or the name of a cyclist you find interesting, email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com. Please visit my Instagram page for daily entertainment and check out the Morphology YouTube page to find videos of some of the places I go with my bike. I'll leave you with this quote from the unwritten book of Morphology. This quote comes from John Muir. Keep close to nature's heart and break away once in a while. Climb a mountain or spend a week in the woods. Wash your spirit clean. Think about it.